chapter 17, we uh, continue our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, started last summer, we jumped back in right before Easter, and today we're going to be smack dab in the middle of the second missionary journey. Now before I get to Acts chapter 17, a couple of announcements. The weather was not our friend yesterday, so we did not have the 5K to raise 5K, but we're not canceling, we're rescheduling for Saturday, June 3rd at 8 a.m. And if you are signed up and you're not able to participate, you will still get a t-shirt We'll still make sure that you get that. Your money that you have given for your registration is helping with our summer mission uh, program, so that's awesome. But here's the great news. Some of you wanted to participate yesterday, and you could not. You might now be able to on Saturday, June 3rd. Still just $20. It's a blessing. See Cody or myself if you have questions. Reload for men. Fourth Thursday, fourth Tuesday of the month is this Tuesday, 6 a.m. at the Cable Building. Come on out. We're going to be studying the Bible together. Kevin Peterson is cooking once again for us. Um, and, and I'm really excited to announce that throughout the summer, Kevin will not be able to cook because of responsibilities at camp, but Karen Rice and Jenny Carter from our church have stepped up, and they are going to take over the cooking. So we will continue with this very hearty breakfast the second and fourth Tuesdays of every month, 6 a.m. And then next Sunday, if you show up at 1045, uh, the service will be over. We have a one-service Sunday at 930 a.m. It's a family Sunday. going to be a very special day. You will not want to miss it. Check that out. And, of course, VBS is just around the corner. I think VBS starts three weeks from tomorrow. No, two weeks from tomorrow. Is that right? Two weeks? Two weeks from tomorrow. Cannot believe it is upon us. So check that out. Today we see Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke as they are continuing the second missionary journey. It's a journey through Macedonia. It started with Paul seeing a vision, being given a vision of a man from Macedonia. And his message was really simple. We need you. Macedonia needs you. Macedonia needs Jesus, and you can find the account of that in the early part of Acts chapter 16. And so this is after Paul and Barnabas had their falling out over John Mark. We studied that last week, and away they go. And in the, uh, the, the early part of that journey, it took them to Philippi, and today it's going to take them to two locations, Thessalonica and Berea. But here's the big idea. Here's the point that I want everyone here to grab a hold of. And if you're a Christian or you're considering the faith or maybe you're here because you had to come, someone made you come today, here's the big idea that I want you to see. Christians are called to preach Jesus. Christians are called to teach Jesus. Christians are called to proclaim Jesus. You may say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're a Christ follower, our call is to preach Jesus, to teach Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, to reflect Jesus, to be Christ's ambassador. And on Sunday morning at 5 till 11, that sounds very poetic. That seems very safe maybe even somewhat enjoyable, but we're going to see from our text today, it's not always easy. And sometimes it includes danger and persecution and trouble and trial. So that's the big idea. 
Our call is to promote, preach, proclaim, teach, testify to Jesus. But it's not always easy. Context for today's message, the mission to Macedonia continues. They've been in Philippi. That's a great account, by the way. If you haven't, if you weren't here April 9 when we studied that, or you haven't read that lately, spend time in the last half of Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas get arrested, and they go to prison, and instead of crying and whining and woe is me, they're praising God and worshiping, and sham, there's this huge earthquake that happens, and um, the, the jailer's getting ready to commit suicide because he thinks that the prisoners are gone. And Paul and Silas are like, don't do that. We're still here. He's like, why wouldn't you run away? They're like, because we love Jesus. And they end up baptizing the Philippian jailer and his whole family. It turns into a revival right then, right there. Following that, they're on the road through uh, Macedonia to the communities of Thessalonica and Berea. That's what we're looking at today. And so I'm going to read these uh, two different accounts. The first account is in Thessalonica. The second account is in Berea. Let's see what the word of the Lord has for us. Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, take the pew Bible. It is yours. Write your name on it. If anybody says anything to you, send them to me. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. When they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, as his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are defying Caesar's decrees. They're saying there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. What do we know about Thessalonica? Very important port city during the day. Estimated about 200,000 people lived in Thessalonica during Paul's day. Paul established a church there. That's what's happening as we study this. A church is slowly being established, and he would actually write not one but two letters to the Christians at Thessalonica. We know those as the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These were two of the very first letters that Paul would write. Paul would eventually write 13 or 14 letters in the New Testament. We're not sure if he wrote Hebrews or not. We don't know who wrote Hebrews or not. If he wrote Hebrews, he wrote 14. If he didn't, he wrote 13. But two of the very first that he wrote were the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Where was his focus? This is what I want you to grab a hold of. His focus was the synagogue. When we think missionary journey, we think the, the message going to Gentiles. And that happened. But here in Thessalonica and later in Berea, he starts in the synagogue. He's going to primarily 
the Jewish people. And the message is all about the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. That, that's the context behind what's happening here. So I want to give you Paul's style of preaching, what was his message, and then I want to look at the outcomes. And so Paul really had a three-fold purpose in terms of his message, and he started, according to our text, by proving that the Messiah, proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead according to the Hebrew Scriptures. If you had a lot of time on your hands, and none of us do more than likely, but if you had a lot of time on your hands and you grabbed your Bible and you read the first 39 books in your Bible, Genesis to Malachi, we call that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, you would find teaching after teaching after teaching that we would call prophecy that pointed to a Messiah. It pointed to a Savior. It pointed to the Christ. See, God's people... They had some tough times in the Old Testament. They found themselves down more than they found themselves up. And especially when you get into Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the other prophets, you see this looking to the future. You see language about a suffering servant. You see language about a new root springing up that will bring hope to God's people. And those are all teachings prophecies about a savior to come about a messiah to come so paul starts by preaching the concept of a savior the concept of a messiah he's speaking primarily to jewish people although we know there's a whole bunch of greeks there as well and he's saying remember when you opened the scroll in isaiah and it talked about the suffering servant remember when you opened the scroll in jeremiah and it talked about the, the christ that would come he starts with the concept of the Messiah. The second thing that he talks about is the literal man, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He is proclaiming Jesus. See, you may not realize this because there's a lot of God-hate going on in the world today. But let's just take the last hundred years. You would only be able to find five, maybe six somewhat credible sources that would claim there never was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there's a whole bunch of people that would say he wasn't the Messiah and he wasn't the Christ. But there's more historical evidence that there was a Jesus of Nazareth than there is that there was an Alexander the Great or a Christopher Columbus. Think, think about that for just a moment. Very few people in the history of our world, have denied there was a Jesus of Nazareth. And so G Paul starts telling the story of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, what is that story? It's probably his birth and his life and his ministry. And then he talks about his death, which had not happened that long ago, maybe a decade previous, 15 years previous. And he said, oh, by the way, Joseph and Nicodemus put him in a tomb. They prepared him for burial. And then Shazam, Resurrection Sunday, he rose again. He doesn't start off saying Jesus is the Christ. He starts off saying, you've been promised there will be a Christ. There will be a Messiah. And then he transitions into talking about the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And that leads to point number three of his message. Jesus is the Christ. He's persuading people that Jesus is the Christ. He's connecting dots. It's a, it's a very deductive way of arriving at what many of us, maybe most of us, would believe as truth 
we would say that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In fact, every time someone comes forward to join our church or to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus and prepare for baptism, we ask them to say that out loud. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's Paul's message. That's the route that he takes with his sermon. So so what's the result of his message? Well, result number one is conversions. A whole bunch of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our text tells us that a few Jews became followers of Jesus, but then it also says that many God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So a whole bunch of people in Thessalonica are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? I'd say Paul was a good preacher. I'd say Paul had a great message to proclaim. So the first thing that's happening is conversions. The second thing that's happening is there is conflict and there is chaos. Conflict and chaos. A mob is formed. A riot follows. A mob is formed when some bad characters are rounded up. And before long, they're rioting. And they're looking for Paul. They're looking for Silas. They're looking for Timothy. They're looking for Luke. They can't find him, but they know that they're hanging out at a guy named Jason's house. What do we know about Jason? Not much. We know he was a Christ follower, and we know that he was the host, kind of the, the, the center base for, for, for the ministry that's taking place in Thessalonica. So we can't find Paul. We can't find Silas. We can't find Timothy. We'll grab Jason, and we'll grab some of his brothers. And they drag him out in front of the city officials. And here's what I want you to understand. The charge that they make is serious, and it's a charge that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts. Here's the charge that they're making. They're global troublemakers. They're making trouble all over the world, but this is even more important. They are defying Caesar. How are they defying Caesar? What are they doing? They're saying there is another what? Another king. They're saying, yeah, they're not proclaiming that Caesar is king. They're proclaiming that Jesus is king. And that is what ultimately will get Paul in trouble to the point that he will go to Rome and make his appeal before Caesar himself, this idea that there's another king. You could die, you would die for saying there is a king other than Caesar. And so that's the mission in Thessalonica. Our text makes it clear that it was at least three weeks long, but if you were to dive in and really study First and Second Thessalonians, it sounds like it was more like a three to four month stay, and good things happened. A lot of people came to faith in Jesus, but there was conflict and chaos and persecution as well. And so that takes us to our second scripture we're going to look at today, verse 10 and following the account in Berea. Reading on, Acts 17, verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. 
that when the Jews in Thessalonica learned Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds, stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Paul, for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. And so right away we see a big difference between the communities of Berea and Thessalonica. Thessalonica, some good things happened, but there's a lot of bad characters there. And those bad characters became a mob and they chose to riot. But in Berea, we see they're different kind of people. And I think that that's something that we take for granted in the Bible Belt. We take for granted in 61727. I think that we are more of a Berea than a Thessalonica. And that's a blessing. We should be excited about that, and we can't take it for granted. If we did man-on-the-street interviews today in Bloomington or Decatur or even here in Clinton, and we asked people questions about faith, much of the responses would be positive. Many of them would be encouraging. If we did man-on-the-street interviews, say, in Providence, Rhode Island, one of the least churched cities in the United States of America, the responses would not be near as warm or engaging. New England, tough, tough place to preach Jesus. The Pacific Northwest, in many places, tough, tough place to preach Jesus. Paul and Silas, though, they're still focused on the synagogue. They're still focused on, let's get the message to as many as we possibly can. So here's what I want to tell you about the Jews at Berea. Four things that I want you to see. Number one, the Jews at Berea were of more noble character. They were very open minded. Why was that? I don't know. Why are some people more open to you sharing your faith than others? I don't know. Why are some more hostile than others? I don't know. But I know this, it's much easier, it's much more enjoyable to do ministry in a Berea than it is in a Thessalonica. And when you find yourself in a Berea, you should make the most of the opportunity. Second thing from our text today, notice that the Jews at Berea, they are eager to receive the message. They can't get enough. There's a hunger. There's a desire. Every day, they're studying the scriptures, trying to figure out, okay, now Paul talked about suffering servant in Isaiah. Did Isaiah really say that? Let's check that out. Paul talked about a, a, a savior that would come. Did, did that really happen? They're diving in. They're, they're doing Bible study. They're doing spiritual formation exercises. Number three, Berean, I love this, will become an adjective describing people who study God's word with courage and care. First full-time church that I served down in Moequa, the senior citizens class, I don't know if Marla remembers this or not. They were the loyal Bereans. And i got to be honest with you, I had no idea what that meant when I started in ministry at the age of 22. It's a description of the people that we're studying today. And then finally, number four, the Jews at Berea, many also will become Christ followers. And again, Luke's very specific in describing who's becoming Christ followers. Jewish people are becoming Christ followers. Many Greek men are becoming Christ followers. Many Greek women are becoming Christ followers. 
The mission is successful, but here's the thing, and we can't miss this. The agitators, the troublemakers, they are not content that Paul and Silas and Timothy have left Thessalonica. They follow them all the way to Berea, and they continue to make trouble. And sadly, sadly, that's a lesson for the modern-day church as well. Troublemakers, agitators, people that do not promote unity but instead disunity, many times it's in the blood. They can't let it go for whatever reason. So I'm almost done here, but I want to leave you with some concluding thoughts, some concluding ideas. And number one is painful to share, but I need to share it. And here's what it is. The pain and suffering in Acts 17 is literally playing out all over the world in 2017. The persecution of Christ's followers is still a thing, and it's bigger and better and more awful than ever. It's increasing. The decade in the history of our world where more people died because of faith in Jesus Christ than any other is the decade that we're a part of right now. And so if you want to do something that will reinforce this exercise, go to the website of the Voice of Martyrs. I did it this week. And you will find news story after news story after news story that's happening now. It's happening in our world today. I've got four stories in front of me right here. In China, Pastor Yang Hu sentenced to two and a half years of prison and hard labor. You know what his crime is? He planted a church, trying to find the name of the church here. The Livingstone Church was founded in China with 20 members in 2009. They're running over 700 today. And they have accused him of divulging state secrets. Voice of Martyr says he's preaching Jesus. And so he's in prison for two and a half years. In Pakistan, two people whose names I tried to pronounce first service, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their name. Second service, they're wonderful Christ followers though. Um, They have faced persecution after persecution after persecution because they are only three people in a village of 1,500 families that boldly proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. And they have been beaten. They have been robbed. They have been tortured. They took their case through the Pakistani legal system. It went, I didn't even know there was a Pakistani Supreme Court. They took it all the way to the Pakistani Supreme Court. And they lost. They lost. Because there's no tolerance for the name of Jesus. This is 2017, people. This isn't something 100 years ago. In Colombia, death threats have have really slowed down the incredible ministry of a man by the name of Xavier Gonzalez. He planted a church in one of Colombia's poorest cities seven years ago. It has grown incredibly, and he has been told that if he does not stop preaching Jesus, he will be killed. Last week, he was given his final warning. And in Egypt, we studied uh, on Palm Sunday the, the bombings that took place in Egypt, the Coptic Christian churches that were bombed, and I figured that that was just an isolated incident. There were over 40 terrorist actions against Christians in the months of February and March, 
And the crime that these people are accused of committing were being followers of Jesus. And I don't have time to read this entire article, but the faith of the persecuted humbles me. Like Paul, like Silas, like Timothy, they won't stop preaching Jesus. And God is watching, and we should be honoring. We should be praying. We should thank God today for the freedom that we have to worship freely, and we should use it for the glory of God. Second concluding thought is I want us to take a test. And only you can take a test for you. I want to do a self-assessment. And here's my question for you. Are you a Berean when it comes to God's word? Think about that for just a moment. Are you a Berean when it comes to God's word? Here's how you can know if you're a Berean. And if you take this self-assessment and you're not a Berean, guess what? You can become a Berean. You can decide today, I want to be a loyal Berean. Here's the first thing that a Berean is. Someone that is eager They have a hunger. They have a yearning to study God's word. That's the first thing about a Berean. They are eager. Secondly, they are open. Their heart is open, and they are ready to uncover what they might discover. And then third, daily. Every day, they are in God's word. Eager, open, daily. I had a pastor ask me a couple weeks ago at a conference how long we were going to do this daily Bible reading thing that we publish every week. And I said, we're doing it all year long. And he said, man, that's crazy. That's a lot of work. Why are you doing that? I said, because we want everyone in the Word every day. He said, how many people are doing it? I said, I don't know if there's four people that are doing it or there are 400 people that are doing it. Or somewhere in between. God's word is truth. And like these loyal Bereans, we should be eager, we should be open, and it should be a ritual for our lives every day. I'm almost done. Last thing I'm going to say, reminder, I want to leave you with Paul's strategy. Paul Paul didn't come at it from, you know, if you become a follower of Jesus, your life's going to be really awesome on the face of this earth. He didn't come at it by saying, you know, if you just become a Christian, all the troubles are going to go away. He preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul called that, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of first importance. And that, my friends, is what can truly unite all of us together. We talk a lot about peace and unity and all of the ships sailing in the same direction. When we rally around that, when that becomes the most important thing, um, they will know, they being the world, that we are Christians by our love. It's all about Jesus. Our call is to promote Jesus. But it's a dangerous, dangerous adventure. It's costly. And today, right now, May 21, 2017, there are people gathering to worship in secret because that's how much Jesus means to them. That should be um, incredibly inspiring for those of us that live in the land of the free, the hope we have because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you that your word comes alive to us. And God, help us to, uh, to be like a Paul and a Silas and a Timothy and a Luke and to never grow tired of proclaiming the truth of Jesus. But God, when I think about our church here at Clinton, when I think about our community here in Clinton, all the churches in Clinton, it's my prayer that, that we would be known as Bereans, people who are eager, people who are open, people who have the best kind of spiritual exercises, rituals, disciplines in our life. God, help us in the way that we live our lives to always reflect the love and the joy of Jesus. Thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing a couple songs that's going to lead us into our time of communion. And as we do that, I'd just like to uh, remind you that um, I'm up front. I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you during this time. If you're not a Christ follower, we've thrown that term around a lot today. If that's not you and you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, two things on that. One, hit me up during the service. Hit me up after the service. I'd love to talk with you about that. Second thing is understand that's the most important decision that I've ever made. I made it when I was seven. I didn't know a lot at seven. Um, I know more at 47. But that's the most important decision in my life, to be a follower of Jesus. And if you are not, I'd love to be able to sit with you and just share with you why I really believe that was my most important decision. Let's stand together as Samuel and the crew leads us.